0: Welcome to Pop Culture Retro, which was recently voted the 15th best podcast by the residents of the Golden Years Retirement Community in Boca Raton, Florida. Each show will revisit some of your favorite pop culture memories with insider and outsider perspectives. Now, please help me welcome your hosts, Ike Eisenman and Jonathan Rosen.
1: Hello, and welcome to another edition of Pop Culture Retro. I'm one of your hosts, Jonathan Rosen, along with Ike Eisenman. And I have to say that when Ike and I started this, and I'm not kissing up whatsoever, when Ike and I started this, I had two guests who were at the top of my list. And our following guest is one of them. And I'm really excited to welcome Mino Palouse uh, from Voyagers. And Mino, thank you for joining us.
2: Uh, my pleasure I'm good I you know, I'm just wondering who the other one was was it you know like <laughs> the Stake other one was Chris Makepeace
1: from uh from my bodyguard <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh I have to I have to say okay um and you know I really felt cuz I was in Voyagers as well but the way you got here was a really great story I just wanted to share it quickly we had I posted a video, one of our pop culture video, uh, re- retro videos, about uh, Bad News Bears, and one of our followers, uh, Deron Redding, said, he, oh, he just talked to Mino, who was in, uh, who was in the TV series Bad News Bears, Says, so, oh, well, Mino's on that wish list, and he said, oh, I'll arrange that, <laughs> and so that was great, thank you, Deron, for arranging all that, and uh, now let's get started with the rest of the show. Uh, So I have here a bunch of questions. Now, I saw that, you know, like Ike, you started so young. I want to know how you get into acting. And the same thing with Ike. You know, I was always impressed. I tell him that he was such a natural at a young age. And I thought the same thing of you. You had the quality. How did you get into it? Was it something that you expressed an interest in? Or did your parents
2: kind of steer you into it? All right. So my my path to becoming uh, an actor in Hollywood was a fun one. I was born in Amsterdam cuz my folks had split America at the end of the 60s to go on their you know their journey their odyssey to India but I was I was part of that trip on the way so I was born in Amsterdam lived there the first couple of years of my life and then into India and Nepal for the next years of my life soaking up all that wonderful madness. That's where I gave myself my name, Mino, as a baby, in you know response to whatever wild um, synthesis of of inputs I was getting. Then we came back to America, and my parents split up, and so my mom, as this new single mom, had to figure out how to support herself and her kid. And so she started catering using all the wild foods she'd learned to cook all over the world. And I would go with her sometimes to these sets. And you know, I was just a, a really playful, inventive little kid used to entertaining myself from being all over the world on the on on the road. And We'd get home and she'd say, oh, they saw you playing and they wanted to put you in that commercial. And I thought, well, why didn't they, why didn't you let me? (laughs) Well, you know, no, you're too young. You're too young. And I finally got a play at school. And I didn't tell her. Because I thought she'd say, you're too young. You can't do it. So they called to see if I could stay late for rehearsals. And she said, rehearsals for what? (laughs) So it came out again. All right, this is what I, you know, I've got this interest, you know, this natural affinity for play that I've always had and still do. And she said, all right, if you wait till you're seven, you can give it a professional try. And on my seventh birthday, I went to an agent, (laughs) they dug it, they signed me up. And, uh, and that was it. it. It was, it was real simple. And it was, it was never anything more than just that simple uh, eagerness to go play and that's why I was you know as a kid that's why I was good at it because as a little kid you're unalloyed with preconceptions of self and all this shit you just play you get the words to say you say them Um, but now as, as a director I realized that That kid magic also, that that kid magic for being an actor starts with that, with that just honest, sincere ability to just be natural. But it's also tempered for the good ones with a certain professionalism. (laughs) Simple things like not looking in the camera, like all that (laughs) stuff, you know, people would say, wow, you're really good. And I would say, well, that's what you brought me here to do is to be really good. No, you know, yeah. I I, never, I took all that for granted. It's not, it's not until I've worked with different kids that I see like, Oh yeah, some of them have this intuitive way of just being while you're just pretending inside this giant structure of a production, you know, and other kids are amazed by it all. And so they can't stay focused in the moment. So as a kid actor, I learned that great lesson of how to do make believe as a profession as a, as a as a professional endeavor but never having it be anything more than yeah just a day of going to play like that's other kids go to the park to play I went to the set to play <laughs> so it was very natural for me and I loved it and and I'm certainly thankful to my folks for letting that happen, but I was the one who really
0: spearheaded that. Yeah, course- I got to, I got to tell you, I'm starting jumping in for a second because you just you described exactly what I went through as well. And I, and I, and I love, I love hearing someone else bring it up because, of course, I have contemporaries and friends who are child actors, and and everyone kind of comes at it in a slightly different way. But if you don't have those fund, those exact elements, the, the play and professional understanding, it doesn't work. And I'm glad to see that you see it because I saw it in other children as well. But that whole idea that I love to play and I lived in my head a lot, which is what made me a natural, but I wanted it to mean something. So doing it professionally and being with other people that did it professionally meant that my play meant something. And it wasn't just, it was play and it meant, it. I mean, I just, for the first time, I'm putting that together based on what you just shared. <laughs> so thank you for, uh, for, for, for your, uh, your yeah. personal insight there.
2: One of, the, one of the things I didn't understand as a kid was you're on set. And like, I, I got it that like, okay, you gotta go to school on set too. So like
0: yeah. between
2: every take you're hustled off to the classroom, whether that's in a motor home, whether that's like on a on a board on your lap while you're sitting on a little stool,
0: mm-hmm. but you gotta
2: get in your, your three hours of school a day at least, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I could I could dig that. But what always pissed me off was that what felt like me, to me, the middle of the day I had to go home because I could only be on set so many hours and all these grownups who I felt totally in league with,
0: because I was being just as professional
2: as them. Why do they get to stay and keep working?
0: Yep. I talk, Same thing, same thing, same thing. It's so, it's so funny because you just really get on a roll by five or six o'clock and then, all right, that's yeah. it. The kids are out, you know, so yeah,
1: <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I, I find it hysterical that your mom said you had to wait till the ripe old age of seven. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing and then you got you got an an agent like so quickly do you think it's
2: just that easy i mean and then you got your first gig i think like like a couple of weeks after that yeah and you know the problem is that of course i've i've assumed that everything should be that easy um, <laughs> you know what like i've got this great marriage i've got great kids we've got a great home uh i've got a great career still in telling stories with imagery, whether it's photography or cinematography. And I have a hard time ever taking it more seriously than just let's play. Uh, now you got the first thing that I
1: read. I mean, that you, you got like afterwards with Starsky and Hutch was the first
2: role that you had. So it's awesome. Starsky and Hutch, I go in for my first day on the set, right? I really have no idea what that's going to be like. I've certainly got an idea of sets because I've grown up on sets. So that's no problem. Like, that's not foreign to me, right? But, like, what's it going to be now that I've got to do it? And my first experience is I'm playing this little kid who's been beat by his mother. So, my first experience of going to set is three fucking hours in makeup while they do all this stuff on my back. Oh dear. Good grief. And so I thought, okay, yeah, this is this is these are the rigors. This is cool. And then and then the best part is is like the first shot we do is is starsky and hutch pulling me out of a trash can. (laughs) (laughs) In a trash can, getting yanked out. And like that's not comfortable. And 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 those two actors man they were they were something else because i'm trying to like observe them right how how do you do this and i realized like they've got anger issues <laughs> this stuff that they're they're bringing their anger from off stage onto the stage but they're utilizing it that was a good lesson like whatever whatever you're you're working with utilize it channel it um these were these are the things i picked up along the way how i did that as a tiny kid <laughs> I was just intuitive. Now, were you nervous at all going in? I mean, just you know,
1: you you wanted to act, and you would learn a school play, but, but this is like the big time now. Were you just at all nervous, or nothing? Was that did phase you?
2: Um, I, you know, it's funny. It's either something I learned then that I bring to life now, or it's just an innate response, but. Like when I'm asked to do something, I go, okay, it's my show. I'm going to do it my way. And because I'm doing it my way, I, you know, I'm, I, there, there's not an inherent nervousness to it because I'm trying to figure it out. I just figure, okay, I'm, I'm, I must be here to do it. I, I must be here to do me. So I'm just going to do me and, and thus, you know, I get alleviated from those weird stresses of anxiety particularly in the moment. And and so like, that's, that's one of my fortes is working in the moment. And that's why I've gravitated to, uh, you know, a lifetime in things like making great moments with imagery, because mm. you need to have a facility with moments, with being in the moment, with nailing the moment, with teasing from the moment, the magic that is there to be given. And, uh, you know, and my
0: wife's a planner and that's
2: why we, that's why we work well together. Oh yeah. Yeah, we
0: do. We need the planner. So is mine. She makes, she makes the list. She sets up the honeydew list and schedules everything except for these shows. (laughs) So yeah, I need the same thing. Otherwise I'm just, yeah. Yeah. I think it's just the artist life. You know, I think that's 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 just it. Cause if you don't think that way, if you don't function that way, you can't, I don't think you really can connect to to great art. And, you know, that's all about sharing it with other people, whether it's your performing or working in the visual field. Can't wait to talk to you about your photography, which I absolutely love by the way. Um, but uh boy, my my other little uh my other little thing here for me is I'm so glad that you were um you know a few, quite a few years behind me in the business because i i i would have been really mad losing all my parts out to you because you were <laughs> you're you one of the one of the best child actors and i you know and I, I i i always i always pointed out to the ones that i that i recall with with great admiration and respect um because i know we'll get to voyagers in a minute too but man it was so great working with you and i i had a really good time so no you were you were fantastic and clearly your resume <laughs> su- supported that easily <laughs>
1: thank you thank yeah you. well before we get before we get to voyagers, i have a couple of others to cover I mean, <laughs> but we will and we'll cover your photography um but I had totally forgotten when I was doing the research, I had totally forgotten that you were in Amityville horror. Oh yeah. <laughs> I had totally forgotten that. And I want to know what that experience was like and if it's similar. I, I've spoken to Ike about horror movies and he doesn't find them scary just because he knows all the backstage process from it. So I wonder how were you at all scared doing that because you were so young?
2: So so doing it, you know, filming it, I wasn't scared at all. No. Um I was I was certainly intrigued in that you know I had the sense that this was an actual movie a big movie and that was cool. Um, I had this the sense of the story because you know I was I was young enough that I didn't sit down and read the script. My mom read the script and then told me the story. And she read the book and told mm. me she was a great storyteller, and I you know I really get that gift from my mom. Um, And then I would learn my lines for each day and learn the scenario. And that's the thing. But like when you're doing it in pieces like that, it's all broken out of the continuum. So again, there's no there's no impending sense of doom. You're just doing the work. Now you're doing the work in the context of being scared. But you know, for me, I was doing it in the context of being totally excited because I told him I got to do my own stunt and I had that stunt where I fall down the stairs smash the light bulb and fall down the stairs into the haunted basement and I got to do that oh my I was was just so stoked about that (laughs) and um and you know and and like going on location the first time to Toms River New Jersey that was kind of a big deal but I mean, I like maybe in my kid's brain it was as big a deal that they had an indoor pool, which seems <laughs> incredibly uh, exotic to me. And you know, we would swim <laughs> in the pool when we weren't on set. I'm I'm so, shocked that they'd let you do that stunt. But... Yeah, I, I put my foot down, damn it. <laughs> All right. no, so watching it later, were you able to distance yourself? I mean, were you scared oh. watching it? so, so that's a thing, though, right? So then we get invited to the premiere Chinese theater packed house go in and it was scary as shit <laughs> a little kid i you know i didn't go to scary movies yeah i was you know i had all the joy all the thrill of of a scary movie yeah it was very scary <laughs> now did in, in your mind did you differentiate
1: movie from tv role i mean do this like oh this is so much bigger now that you're in a
2: movie no 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 i mean um I had done this really funny, low budget horror flick just before that,
0: mm-hmm. which
2: which turns out to like, still be in the canon of B-horror movies. And the guy who directed it, he's, he's still, you know, an aficionado in that canon and everything. So it's called Don't Go In The Park or Don't Go Near The Park or something like this. I'm gonna have to check and, that out. <laughs> and, you know, and I certainly had the respect for the fact that that was done you know with like four people and now here we're at mgm doing it with <laughs> lots of people <laughs> um, but like as a kid you're just you're open to the the nuance of all new experience right because you're not categorizing things a priori you're just like okay what's this why well, do we do this let's go and and that that made for a really rich Childhood, you know, a, a really um, vivid childhood, a lot of great memories. Particularly, like uh, opening opening the door. We so we had we had our little schoolroom on the side of the set of of the house. The house was on the set was in different levels, right? Mm-hmm. So there was there was kind of the main level, and there was like a lawn outside. So that lawn became our little football field for break time out of the classroom. And one day Margot Kidder comes and she's playing catch with us, and it's awesome, because you know we're we're all in love with Margot Kidder. She's this <laughs> you know, luminous creature, and uh, and then she runs into her her dressing room at the end of the the thing there, and we're waiting for her to come back out and keep playing with us. So I just walk over and open the door, <laughs> and like there I am face to face with Margot Kidder's big black bush and it was it was amazing it was um, it was it was it was my moment out of the tin drum yeah it was, it was, it was, it was wow
1: must have been fun filming after that <laughs> well uh, now i have to watch the movie in a new light <laughs> i also i just i mean like mentioned you're you're Careers seem very parallel in a lot of things like I you were in every everything in the 70s I mean everything I saw every major tv show you had a part in uh but then you get on a series the bad news bears with Jack Warden uh which I was I remember at the time that I was surprised got made into a tv show (laughs) because I was wondering how they were going to translate you know the the kids which was I love that movie so and you even played Tanner uh had had you so
2: so here you go right so I was a huge Bad News Bears fan as a little kid, as every little kid in the 70s was. So now, like, my mom says, oh, you're going in for an interview for the Bad News Bears TV show. Okay, great. And again, like, yeah, I mean, in my brain, there was no huge differentiation between movies and TV. Like, this was just the stuff you consumed. I had my, I was the only one in the house who had a TV, right, Um, so like, that's cool i'll go do that and i get there to this giant casting call and they give me the sides for ogilvy the brainy kid with the glasses but i see these other sides for tanner over here and i'm thinking i don't want to be the nerd i want to be the (laughs) tough guy so when i go in to read i tell them you know, I want, I want to read these other ones. And they said, yeah, yeah, but we know we kind of were thinking of you for this part. I said, all right, I'll read those. But you gotta let me read the other ones too. <laughs> and of course, I, I read the Tanner ones, and they loved it, and I got the part.
0: <laughs> oh, good for you. I mean, you yeah, know, it's slow. just, Yeah. <laughs>
1: Now, what were you? What are your, some of your memories of that? show? I mean, at some point, they stopped doing baseball at all on that show. <laughs> they started doing everything but baseball toward the end of it. And uh, I want so to know was, what Jack uh, Warden
2: was like, also. Yeah, that was. I mean, that was a particularly special thing to be involved with at that moment in my life, right? Because what I was eight years old, right my sister at that point's 2 years old mm. um, i didn't have any brothers uh my friends were the kids you know in the sh- who lived in the apartment buildings with me so all of a sudden now i'm going to a place where there's 12 of us like this is heaven right like we're we're all a bunch of precocious little badasses <laughs> You know and so so in in scenes where like we're looking all scuffed up and roughed up that that's not art direction, that's because we're playing tackle football in between the shots <laughs> um, yeah, so we had a really good time because there was this all this camaraderie um there was that connection like when we would go to to school on the set, we had our own little schoolroom um we knew that we were in kind of this that you know when we go to the baseball field and shoot that stuff that was just kids on a baseball field you couldn't be happier right but when we were on the set on the paramount there was something really special to that one because that was the set that had been the set for the brady bunch and we knew that because there were these there were the dressing rooms that had belonged to the brady bunch kids and and so like, and we knew that because the walls were covered in all the little class pictures that all the fans had sent in. So we knew we were in some kind of hallowed ground to things that actually meant something to us like we all watched the Brady Bunch. Later, I realized that's also the stage where Tom Hagen comes when he comes to California to let the producer know that he's gonna, he's gonna let Johnny in the movie. He says, I'll never let that kid in the picture. And he wants <laughs> to put a horse's head in his. So that stage where he visits him, that was the stage we worked on.
0: Oh, that's outstanding. It's that, that always makes it so much fun. Cause you know, studios have such history, you know, so much happens. I had yeah. a similar experience I, on, on Escape to Witch Mountain working, um, because Disney only has like four stages and and only one decent sized one, but they had a special effects stage called the, they called it the sodium stage. And I remember stomping around because the, the the floor was kind of hollow and, and it turns out that was the stage on which they shot 20,000 Leagues under the sea. There was a, a water pit below that. Oh. And, and I thought, you know, I mean, I don't know why that one that one movie and that one moment impacted me more than thinking about everything else that had been shot on those stages. But all of a sudden, I thought, "My God, the giant squid was down there, <laughs> you know, in the submarine." So nice. it just it just makes it rich in ways that you you know you you just I find I find incredible and really enjoyable.
2: It's funny because yeah, you when when you are kind of steeped in the lore and you realize that you're being given this opportunity to be part of that lore. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, one, of the <laughs> one, of, one of my great connections to pop culture is the fact that when we shot Voyagers on the back lot of, of Universal, we would just routinely jump onto the trams of the tour and like lead the tour across the bridge with the, with the shark and stuff. Yeah, that, was, that was great. That is so awesome. Kind of fun that we, you know, we would just kind yeah. of go own that for ourselves.
0: I, 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 obviously <laughs> we all worked on all the different lots, but I, I did do a number of shows at Universal and that just used to dumbfound me that I'd be walking to the stage or Past the center from the you know the parking lot, and there was the tram waving by and driving by, and people would stare at you and take pictures. I mean, no matter who, no matter who you were, it was right. it was amazing. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that that's got to be my my closest relationship to celebrity is is that kind of stuff. Where I had been a kid on the tram, that was awesome. <laughs> so now I I could have totally appreciate the kids on the tram, and I would want to give them that that moment Experience. of connection. That's great. Well, and how, how was how was it well, like with Jack Warden? How was he working with Jack Warden? Was great. I mean that, you know, that salty character with a chomping on a cigar—that yeah. was just him. That was him, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> but you know, in in so many ways, also he was part of that, you know, that firmament of adults who were making things happen. So I, I guess that was the difference about Voyagers, because a lot of other things I was in like I was the kid in the thing.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: now I'm connected with Telly Savalas cuz like this is what's going on, right? And but on the set with 12 other kids, you are you know like you're an animal, you just revert. Like I'm just going to be a kid. <laughs> okay. Parents and, and adults are just this 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 weird thing that happens above your head.
1: Oh. <laughs> and in another series i actually watched an episode this past week in, in preparation of, of best of the west i had totally forgotten about that show too and i i remember liking it at the time too so what, what was that like i mean I, were you i mean i remember being disappointed that it ended what were some of your memories of that
2: because so that was, i mean another that's, that's, that's one of those experiences where like i'm the only kid on set right so right. now i'm i'm much more connected to all the really cool adults that are making this thing. And obviously everyone were, they were all super proficient comedians and stuff. And so I was kind of trying again through intuition to pick up what is this comedic timing thing that everyone's so good at? Um, And the secret sauce was also, I would just go next door to taxi and watch them shooting that. And watch them, you you understand like, the way those shows worked was Friday night they got done in front of a live audience like a play that was wonderful but that meant Monday morning you were you had sides in your hand and you were working it out like an actor on stage and so you know if you go next door to watch Taxi watch them working out their beats their moments their cues all that shit it's it's fantastic and then of course like Robin Williams is walking by to lunch, Tom Hanks, it was just, that was the crew. And so that was was another like very special time in my life. Special because the connections with all the actors were wonderful. The connection with what I was doing as a craft was terrific. Mm -hmm. The, The connections between like place, that was such an interesting set, right? So this is, this again, you're doing it as as a stage piece on, on a floor, all sets have only three walls, but they're these giant sets. So the walls swung and you would open up the cabin and then that would swing and you'd open up the general store where you could go in and steal like the little gummy candies out of the thing, but they were props. So they were always nasty and hard and then that would swing and make this giant saloon. Um, so total appreciation for stagecraft. There was there was Thursdays when you would now pretty much have everything set. You'd know most of your lines. So now you would kind of do a dress rehearsal, but for the cameras, because now the cameramen who hadn't been there the rest of the week had to learn their moves. And And so I got this this big appreciation then for what is that orchestration of camera movement and as an actor playing to camera and how do all those pieces go together and that's of course so much of where my head is at all the time now um so so again a time of of tremendous education and 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 a time kind of a, a priceless time in my own life because It was really positive. The fact that these series would like go two seasons and then end, that was not a huge consideration to me. Like I grew up, you'd live in an apartment for a year or two and then you move to another apartment. So you would do a show for a year or two, which again, two seasons in a kid's life, that's a long time. So yeah, of course we're gonna go do the next thing. Um, So that wasn't a big deal, but but, but it was part of the, the kind of apocryphal moments of those pieces of childhood, right? And it was kind of neat. You skip forward many years, and and I'm, I'm I've got this photography career now, and I'm working with Interscope Records, and they said, "Listen, we've got we've only got 500 bucks to go shoot this uh, this woman called Lady Zydeco. Um, she's this kind of older black lady, but she's a guitar." Wizard from New Orleans. So I go and I make these beautiful pictures of her. And the next week I get another call. We've got another 500 bucks. I know it's small, but like uh, it's another up and coming artist. Uh, her name's Lady Gaga. And so I'm thinking I'm going to go shoot this another like old black lady. And, and so I go to the set. And at first I go to the dressing area and, and I'm introduced to her and I'm Oh, okay, surprise. Okay, this is not Lady Zydeco. This is a whole different genre of of pop. And we go down to shoot, and, and it and it's a magic day because one, this young woman, like you can really see it through the lens when someone has it, right? This translation to two dimensions, this translation to the life through the lens, but when you see those stars boy you know and she was incredible she was it from the get-go this is like one Mm -hmm. of her first things this was her first music video and what was awesome was it was they were borrowing the sound stage of a tv show that had these opulent sets that kind of went with her song it was that stage from best of the west
1: oh wow
2: right (laughs) so you know, like, I'm the old hand coming home to this world, witnessing the birth of this new star. Uh, with You know, I'm a young guy, but I'm, I'm recognizing, like, I'm a veteran <laughs> in the face of someone who's just beginning their great career. But I, but I knew it was a great career. I knew, yeah, that was a totally magic day.
0: Oh, and, that's and your photos of
1: Lady Gaga are fantastic. I, I saw those two on it's, on uh, your site. Um, I, well, now now we're going to come into you know Voyagers. It was absolutely my favorite show of when I was a kid. That was the first show I remember being devastated when it was canceled i was so upset when that was canceled and so that's why it was interesting that you said that it didn't affect you with childhood as much as probably it did some of the adults but for me as a viewer i was so upset <laughs> uh just want to know how, how did you get that role how did you uh wind up with it and you know what, just tell, anything you can remember about going into that show
2: all right so voyagers is particularly particularly fantastic because voyagers was was really driven by the magic of chemistry. Um, there's a mercurial nature to any creative thing where you can put all the effort into the world to it and it's still shit, or all the pieces somehow fall together and even if it's something like looking back now, it's like, oh yeah, this is '80s TV. This is like it was a lot of, um, you know, production standards that were much lower than they are now, mm-hmm. and yet still it's total magic. Like, where does the magic come from? Chemistry. So, so Voyagers. My my journey, my voyage to Voyagers begins again with it's a cattle call. You get called in. You get the sides, you go in and read them, and then they're like, yes, we're liking this, now we're gonna bring you in to meet the the networks, right? So they had rounded it down to two kids and two guys. The other kid, he's this kind of blonde roly-poly kid with glasses, kind of, you know, he's, he's the archetypical nerd, and the other guy was this older, more uh, Harrison Ford kind of guy. So we get in there and I go read with the old guy and John Eric goes and reads with the kid. So they would do the things and it's good. You know, this, we know the scene, we got it on its feet. We're doing a thing and it works just fine. And then the other guy and the other kid go in and John Eric and I start to rehearse it. And we're like laughing to ourselves. And we walk in and we laugh to the, to the, the brass of NBC because we've got this. It's, it's indisputable. Like this is, this is exactly what this is supposed to be. They watch us go through it once and they say, yes, this is exactly what it's supposed to be. And the next thing you know, it's awesome. We're um, going to our fittings at the wardrobe department on the back lot. Right, so I'm 12 years old. So, you know, what's important in my life? Um, being able to throw a spiral, a good spiral is an important thing to a 12 year old boy, right? So after we do our fittings, John Eric says to my mom, hey, listen, can can Mino stay and hang out with me and we'll go walk around the back lot and, uh, you know, we'll get to know each other and I'll bring him home. Perfect. So not only Am I like walking around the back lot of universal, which I've really only seen from the tour bus before (laughs) this, right now we have it all to ourselves. Like some kind of interlopers we're hanging out. I've got like the coolest big buddy in the world because he can fucking throw a spiral a hundred (laughs) yards. So we're walking through this with a football, with all that instant chemistry that we had there and and that chemistry that was it was really a great friendship and he really was this the hugest hardest open guy it was wonderful right so we come we become fast pals we go to the first day of shooting we're at Indian dunes which is this whole neat area out past magic mountain which which was you know, Magic California. This is where they make movies in the woods. And we're down by the river and we're doing the scene where Moses is in a basket floating down. And this is the scene that we know so well, because this is the same scene that we've done so many times in the rehearsals for, for getting the gig. So now we're gonna execute it. We're gonna put it on its feet for the camera, make it magic. We do the first take wide, it's beautiful. Everyone's loving it. The whole crew is like coming into the synergy of the thing. A Couple takes later, move things around. John Eric says to me, Hey, come over here. Cause we're the pals now, right? Like we're getting to know everybody else, but now we're the old fast friends. And he says to me, how come you're on the other side of the camera? <laughs> and I figured it out. Oh, right. I'm the veteran. You're the newbie. John Eric, this is your close-up. Oh, no. Yeah. Wow. It's wow. Awesome. So he, he had totally bullshitted his way, his resume, into this gig. And he was just a natural, gregarious, outgoing guy. But like his one acting experience was as a broccoli in third grade.
0: (laughs) Holy cow. I, you know, I've heard other, I can't can't name them stories similar to that where other people have just, you know, you always say, well, how do you get your first gig? How do you get into the business? And everyone, I mean, the smarter, more creative ones like John um, managed to pull that off. And that's incredible. That's really incredible.
2: Did, did so, you feel yeah, but, any? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, it's just it, Voyages was magic because think about like every every episode was different sets, different costumes, different time zones. I mean, you know, you couldn't get more of a of, of a piece of variety in the work. And this is interesting. The crew stays the same, right? Mm-hmm. But every week, the cast, other than John, Eric, and I changes. So, so we become like the ambassadors to the show. And often the director changes as well, right? Sometimes you have re- reoccurring directors, but the, du- the director of photography changes, and the, you know, he stays the same, the grips stay the same, the catering people, like that's, that's the family. And then you have these other people who come in And you realize as ambassadors, your job is to like welcome them in, to get them to be part of the magic. And, you know, it was really
1: positive. I was gonna ask that because this is the first time, I mean, you were on a show, but not the main, this is the first time you're the guy. I mean, one, at least one of them on, on the show. So, you know, bringing in people and I was going to Include Ike in this one too. You had to bring in the guest stars each week, uh, and so Ike, you know, a little bit. If you could add something about how you, how it felt when you came into the show. Well, that he, I he just your episode.
0: <laughs> he just described exactly what the environment was like. Um, you know, I, I really had the uh, the rich experience of having worked on so many different shows. I mean, so many different shows, so many different sets, and um, so many different personalities and um the 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 three the three well Disney was always a favorite because that that was a family anyway I mean it's the same kind of thing um the, the same crew same people no matter what practically no matter what project I did but Little House on the Prairie was an incredible environment Michael Landon was very very conscious of making that set very family-like and welcoming and everyone was she seemed like everyone was in a good mood all the time no matter how hard they were working and then when I came um you know instantly my first moment on the set of Voyagers I mean you were exactly that you were completely welcoming John Eric was just an amazing guy and I just remember him being so freaking funny all the time which is you guys just made it fun and um I I you know, I, I I always had a little bit of a love-hate relationship working with other child actors. And because sometimes it was good. Sometimes it was like pulling teeth. Sometimes it was awkward. And maybe we got along. Maybe we didn't. But you were just a joy to work with. I mean, so incredibly professional. And and and, and what made it even better for me was my little secret about my my time on your set. And I'm so sorry if anybody else suffered for this. But I got the flu like the day before my first day, and I was sick as a dog. I had like a 103 degree fever um, almost every day I worked with you guys. And so I, I was just, I was beat up and I was just dragging myself to the set. I don't even know how I drove myself there. And I felt like in a weird way that it was like some of the best work I did as a guest as a guest on another show, because I had to work twice as hard just to just to keep my eyes open. And I'd go to my dressing room and pass out when I had a break because I was just worn out. So um, you guys made it so easy and it was just so much fun. It was just such a fun show to do. And I just watched it again this weekend, um, that episode and I haven't seen it in ages. So it was so much fun to revisit it. That was a show I love to watch as well. I was as disappointed as Jonathan when, uh, when it went off the air, but you know, such is the nature of, of so many shows back then, but, but that very environment you described is is you, you just, you, you did, you created that. I felt exactly that way. and I had a blast, total blast.
2: All right. So I'll tell you the, the, the mirror story to that. Um, <laughs> So I had never had any f- formal acting training, right? Um, I, w- I was I was vaguely aware, especially as I became more of an adolescent that like, oh, when you really learn things, you can do them really well, but like you can also just go do them and do them well <laughs> if you happen to be gifted in that, right? Um, and so like with Voyagers, it was interesting because different actors would come in and and you would see that some of them had technique that they were bringing to their craft, like preparation and things like this, you know, like they'd get quiet before their scenes, they'd be introverted, whatever it was, I think, oh, wow. okay, so this person really understands the craft of this. They're not just coming and fucking playing like the rest of us Mm -hmm. and and I, I, of course, was a fan of yours. I'd grown up watching you, <laughs> and here you were, like, coming to our world. And I thought, oh wow, look, see, he's he's one of those ones that really like understands the craft because <laughs> you know, he's really quiet and internal between scenes. That's that's something I should think about. <laughs> you were oh, wow. sick. You had the flu.
0: I was. <laughs> was oh yeah. Oh yeah no it it wasn't i can't i can't claim i can't claim any level of craft in my work i i I was another organic uh, organic performer i mean i understood the fundamentals i learned what i like you what i could from other people but yeah on that show no i wasn't i wasn't the moody quiet internal processing um performer yeah at at all i i I was just trying to keep upright.
2: (laughs) and i was thinking wow this guy's doing some of that brando shit this is (laughs) that's great oh my gosh
0: that's great
1: (laughs) well you know like i I think you said i mean you hit it on the head to me there was unbelievable chemistry I, i just like i said i watched it i was first i loved it because i was a history buff i was a history kid and then time travel too so i loved everything about it but you know the chemistry between the two of you was just phenomenal and again, uh, so can you tell a little bit about, you know, John Eric Hexham again and how it felt afterwards? I mean, uh, I thought, I mean, I thought this guy at the time, I remember, I thought this guy's going to be a huge star. I, I thought this guy was going to go on, his career was going to skyrocket. And I remember loving him in the show, just like, you know, every, every week he, you know, he was, he was the suave. He, he got, you knew, you knew he got laid every week with, with whatever, uh, you know, person he met. That. so that's what that's what I want to know could you say a little bit about
2: him in particular yeah so it was it was it was it was you know it was so awesome having you know again like this big brother this this pal because you know like his openness to camaraderie was fantastic so here we were you know this this team that would work with all these different people that would come and go. And, and that was always wonderful. And it was funny because like, like we would often both get crushes on the heroine of that episode. Right. (laughs) But again, like at the end of the, you know, 6 PM or whatever it is, I got to go home and I'm thinking, yeah, and he's going to work another few hours and then go home with her. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, but like, I couldn't be happier for him. Um, there was, there was one woman who was a tour guide operator that we both really had a crush on, you know, and she was more of a constant because like, she'd come by
0: hmm. on
2: the tour more often than just the heroine of the week. And, um, the, and I rem, like, there was a great, um, like for a moment there, like we were the, we were three pals. That was a great feeling. Like, yeah, these are my pals. Um, <laughs> And look, what, you know, when you're a kid and you've got someone to look up to, they just, they chart the way, they chart the course in so many ways, uh, knowing that like his his magnanimity, his charisma, his fitness, his charm, like I, that was such a great, um, you know, he's such a great role model for me. Um, and, and then the series ended that's a bummer. But again, I'm a kid. I go on to all the other things in my life. I go back to my little school that I had always grown up at. So I always had kind of a, a certain continuum between shows because it was the same kids I was growing up with and all that. And right around that time, oh, and and that's interesting too, because that school was K through 12. So like we always looked up to the big kids. So I was totally good with like looking up to a big kid. John Eric was just a big kid. And then I was kind of in middle school where like the little kids were looking up to me now and i i could feel the weight of that right and that was right after the show ended was the first time two of the older kids who had been kind of part of the the hierarchy of this of this round table that we all ate at right this was our this was our camelot this little school and Two of those greatest, oldest kids got wiped out in a car crash.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And so it was my first introduction to dealing with death. And it was heavy, and I was dealing it within the community of all my friends. And shortly thereafter, the second death in my life, the second great pal. And you know it was it was not believable like how could he how could he die this is this is a person who is just manifestly more full of life than anyone else you meet how could he be gone and, you know that was a real growing up moment for me so and how did, how did you find out you just on the news or i remember um, i was asleep and my mom's boyfriend rushed in. There's been an accident, and my mom behind him with this look on her face like no you gotta you gotta break it more gently you know those, that's one of those moments of childhood that stick in your craw mm-hmm. and you know, and I thought, okay, oh, he's fucking around because it was like we always fucked around on set right. there was there was a time I remember where we're screwing around. You know we're kind of like shadow boxing and i caught his nose and we're like rolling and he's like wait hold the roll watch this watch and the blood starts to come out <laughs> oh geez <laughs> um so like we were always messing around on set so i thought oh okay he's playing he did some you know he, he fell down he hurt himself and then as it was explained more like no 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 he somehow, this fake gun. This is the story that I heard, right? Is that it's the... Because, you know, we've been around ex- guns and exploding stuff a lot. And, you know, squibs going off in your face, shooting hot dirt into your face. I was used to that. Mm. Um, but the... the blank in the gun is a bullet that has gunpowder in it, so it goes pow. But instead of putting a bullet in the front of that to hold that gun and they just stuff a piece of paper in there. But that paper has got to pop out and at close range on the soft of your temple, it can do you in. Mm. And again, it just, it seemed unimaginable. And yet there it was, brain dead. What is the brain dead? That was my first uh, intuition of brain dead and, and so he's
1: he's what you saw on the show he was just that that was him he was just so full of life like you like you're saying
2: dude there was no method acting there he would just we were all just being ourselves <laughs>
1: <laughs> well like i said i go back and watch the show probably I watch, I watch the whole series probably like every couple of years i go back and revisit oh, do you awesome. have a
2: particular favorite episode um so the pilot was really special because there was kind of more expanded stuff like working with the guys who were the Wright brothers, right? Like these were great actors. They were wonderful getting to do the, the Rick Toffin fighter plane stuff. That was, that was really special. I loved, um, the, the Caesar episode, (laughs) right? The, the Spartacus episode. And, um, you know, because again, I was getting to do some stunts and stuff. All right, I give you one of the drawbacks to Voyagers. We had a seven o'clock time slot, and there's all these special uh, morality rules that the television had imposed upon itself, so they wouldn't be, um, so, so they wouldn't get uh, manhandled, right, by government. Um, one of the things was at, at seven p.m. time slot, you couldn't have violence towards kids
1: hmm.
2: Hmm. i'm like wait a minute i want to be in the fight scenes <laughs> and you couldn't throw punches if you watch the show there's no punches there's fights but it's elbows and all this kind of stuff i didn't stuff. realize that i'm gonna to have to check that um, again. <laughs> so you know there were a few times where i got to like do some stunts and all that kind of stuff and be in a little bit more peril, which is a lot more fun to shoot, right?
0: Oh, absolutely.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And um, so those, you know, those were, it was was the shows that were, that had those. And then of course, like the guy who played Abe Lincoln, he was a profound actor. Eddie looked like Abe Lincoln. So i was like this is great man i am acting with abe lincoln this is really special <laughs> do, you, do you ever go back and watch the shows now at all well you know it's really funny because i get to show them to my kids right <laughs> and uh what and do it, they say oh they loved them i mean they're grown now and they yeah they loved them when they were kids and and i i get to see and be transported to that world again now as a filmmaker right right What are you looking for? You're looking for that. You're looking for chemistry. That's magic. Mm
1: -hmm. Now, uh, your sister, Soleil Moonfry, you know, Punky Booster fame. What was that dynamic like growing up? You know, having two working actors in the family?
2: So, all right. So the beginning of Soleil's life, she's one of those people that comes out fully magical, like this mop of dark hair. I remember like walking into the, to the bedroom the first morning after they had just come home and seeing her and just feeling that feeling you have. Like I didn't get to feel that feeling again until I saw my own child, just like that overwhelming love. Like, Oh, I just want to eat this creature. I love this creature so much. I want this, <laughs> I want to consume them, have their soul in mind. Um, she was a great, great character and, and her dad, you know, in a lot of ways, he was kind of in his own world. Uh, so like I did a lot of the, it it was my mom raising the two of us. I had to help a lot with the parenting. I did. I changed a lot of diapers, all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Um, when I had my own daughters years later, no problem i've done this before this is familiar territory i was six years older right mm-hmm. so so we had this great relationship because you know we had our you know the imaginative world of kids that we inhabited and all that and she was always very gregariously creative and into that and boy she loved her big brother like when i showed her the trick like when you take the laundry bags down the stairs to go to the laundromat, you can jump halfway off the stairs into the laundry bags. And, you know, so she loved all that stuff. But I also noticed that she was very shy outside the house with other people. And then I also remember that day when she kind of came out from behind mom's legs on one of my sets and said, now it's my turn. <laughs> I thought, okay, yeah, it is like we've been waiting. And, um, you know, what happened to Voyagers, Voyagers, Voyagers was the victim of the Nielsen ratings box. The Nielsen's rating box was literally a box that sat on top of people's televisions and monitored what they watched. And they watched 60 minutes, like the whole country watched 60 minutes. That was the number one show Sunday at 7. PM. Mm -hmm. But now there was a second TV in the house and that's where the kids were. They were all watching Voyagers, but that didn't have the Nielsen box on it.
0: Mm. Uh-huh. And yeah, Voyagers
2: yeah. had these big sets, it had all these characters, all these explosions. It was an expensive show to make. Right. So after two seasons of us each week looking at the ratings from the bottom up to find ourselves, mm. it got canned. Yeah. That time slot was filled with the first show to ever give 60 minutes a run for their money. A show called Punky Brewster.
0: Wow!
1: <laughs> Do you have any plans to appear on the
2: reboot? You know what? They didn't ask me.
0: Oh,
1: <laughs>
2: I'm gonna have to start a massive uh, email campaign. Wow! <laughs> uh, that was it. Was really fun when I got to be on the show back then. Right. Because right? back. So you have to understand. So after Voyagers, I did uh, one more series with Judd Hirsch. We did one season of that, it didn't go anywhere, but that was great working with Judd Hirsch, because again, I'd known him from Taxi next door when I did Best of the West. Um, I did a few more things, but by then, you know, I'm becoming an adolescent in the 80s. I had fucking long hair that I didn't want to cut off. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I wanted to do rock and roll. Um, And so, so my stake in the game of doing TV was waning and the parts were waning and the fact that I wouldn't cut off my hair was counting me out and all this kind of stuff and but that was all right because I was also very serious about my education and knew that soon enough I'd be going off to college and so there there was there was no there was there was no um great heartache about the fact that I just wasn't Coming home from school every day and having mom come out while I'm skateboarding you got this job, you got that job, you got this job, you got that job. Cause I was on to other things. But then they asked me to come in and do punky. And that was really special because I got to do a juicy role. And and you know, and I got to the, the role included me being fraternal to her. So I got to really bring the truth of that to it and watch my kid's sister in the world where she was really the star, but I still knew once again, I'm the veteran here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I also read for a little bit that
1: you did the same thing that I did for a while, that you taught history. And I, I want to know,
2: first of all, which subject and what was it like for kids? Oh, I'm being taught by a voyager. Did that ever come up? All right. So, so, the, so the way that comes about is that I go off to college, I get my degree in comparative literature. Um, That means nothing other than I've become educated. I have, you know, I've, I've, I have taken those critical faculties that I've always had, all the ability to kind of like synthesize intuition into what's interesting about this, and how does this work and, you know, autodidactically, bring new knowledge into my life. But now I'm out of college, and I got some wonderful fast friends i got this great girlfriend and i'm just living and then that little bit of money that i still had runs out <laughs> oh i gotta get a job yeah. like, how do you get a job i've never gotten a job before I had an agent who said go take this interview and i did the interview and i got the gig but i had no idea how to go get a job and someone said well you know if you've got if you've got a." a bachelor's you can go substitute teach and because i'm autodidactic i've always been a good teacher because i've got a sense of like well if you don't understand something here's some of the ways that you can begin to understand it piece by piece by piece adding to what you already understand and now you will understand a bigger thing and and i i gotten to teach a bit in college when i was a senior i got to do a course where i taught the freshmen coming in their core course so I was already—I already knew like, well, that's a gift I've got. Let's go use that. And boy, was it a wild ride. And because I'm substituting teaching in LA, right? Which means like they just send you wherever there's a hole for the day, and that typically means there's no lesson plan that's been left, or anything. You're just going into the most ghetto schools of Los Angeles, and you're trying to entertain. Mm. So I brought all my entertainment skills to bear and you know that was humbling and that was eye-opening and all this stuff but every once in a while you'd find a school and they were they would say uh listen we actually don't have a teacher for this position we're going to have you back tomorrow and then you'd fall into Mm -hmm. a position for a while i was the spanish teacher for a while i didn't know any spanish but (laughs) um but then i wound up at hollywood high and yeah for sure enough i was the history teacher And it was profound because now like i'm sending kids off to college who are writing you know i'm in college and it's your fault and thank you so much it's really wonderful and and sometimes we're learning things in history and i can tell them and i met this guy (laughs) let me tell you (laughs) um, you know they didn't know me as an actor they just knew me as mr mino the teacher and and it was funny because 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 then like people through my life have come up to me and go oh and I figure, oh, they're recognizing me as an actor. And they're like, no, 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 Mr. Mino, I you, I was ninth <laughs> grade, I remember. Okay, great. And so so I had that wild ride of teaching. But again, it it was it was like this sidetrack that I didn't understand like why it was persisting for a few years. And I knew I had to get out of it to like actually go make a career as an artist. By then, I was really involved with my photography. And I got out. I said, okay, that's it. At the end of the semester. Thanks so much. Hollywood. High. you've been great, but I got to go. So I come back to have a beer one day with one of my pals, who was the head of the history department. And he says, you know, we haven't filled your position yet. We still need you. And at that time in my life, I had no one who needed me. (laughs) So, Like the call of the kids. All right, I'll be there first day. So I walk into the office. The old woman there who always signed me in she goes oh we're so happy to have you back oh, thanks she says but you're not the history teacher anymore she says no no now you are the ballet teacher <laughs> <laughs> and so literally like i've done this a couple times in my life where i just had to just kind of square with the universe and go okay wow tell me and, and i literally like why am i here on this gray day, in this gray office, on this gray moment of my life, why? Why am I here right now? I turn to walk out, and the new art teacher's walking in. And I said, that's why I'm here. And now it's 22 years later and wow. I have these fabulous kids and my my dharma is is fulfilled. Wow,
1: that's, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> that's great well i us going to transition into your photography you're a very successful photographer you, you know went behind the camera fans can see your work at minofoto.com which i've been to <laughs> great work there what are your days like there what are your responsibilities i mean you you i see a lot of celebrities so i i know that but what uh what can you tell us a little
2: bit about that now all right so so my my current uh incarnation as a person who works in image storytelling that's what it's always been right Mm -hmm. it's always been about go to work for the day and do make believe do make believe believably do it well find the chemistry synthesize out of the moment the magic that is necessary Um, so yeah i've had this fantastic career because i had a friend who was working uh, at at interscope And i went and showed her the pictures i had and she was like yeah come start coming and i started coming and i started you know building this whole a-list of of music people and and then one day one of the guys there he says i love what you're doing you're gonna come work with me and now all of a sudden i'm shooting for beats and that kicked off like the, the the advertising wing of my world and through all of that, I'm I'm doing it in stills, which are in my mind single movies, right? Mm-hmm. Movies mm-hmm. in a moment. Um, yeah. And but then I'm beginning to realize, like, I need to get back to movie making as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And this is also right at the time where, because I'm autodidactic, the way I do it is I just buy the shit and I start using it and then I start getting hired to use it, and then I become proficient at it. You could start to buy buy cinema cameras that weren't $70,000. And I taught myself filmmaking, and I came to it first from that, that early place of, yeah, like everyone gets together inside this kind of communal dream, but now to actually execute a day's shooting so that the dream can be cut together, you have to think like a photographer who's painting cubism, right? Because it's not just this one perfect angle. It's got to be all these angles that come Mm -hmm. together. And then you realize, oh, I've got to learn to edit. So now the stuff I do, I shoot, I usually write it, I cut it, I color it, I've taught myself to do the CGI on it. and and it's you know really edifying because again it's it's my language it's my signature and that's how i've always that's that's how i've always been guided in my relationship to art is that everyone can go out and make these things the fact that you're doing it means you should do it to the best of your ability to the best of what that voice in your mind says here's the way to do it because that way it'll come out your way and it will have your signature and thus it won't be done like anybody else in the world has ever done it um and and you know it's brought a lot of um a lot of grace to my life because that's what i get to do professionally you gotta hustle you gotta make it work you gotta um you still have to, you know, build the world around you. And again, I've been so blessed to have my beautiful wife. These are her legs. Um,
0: <laughs> I had a feeling.
2: <laughs> and, and these, you know, and again, because she's a, because she's a planner, right here, want to know a little secret to life? Run your business on a mileage credit card and have a wife who's really good at the start of the year using the miles to book tickets for later in the year <laughs> for the whole family. Wow. So like you're going on that trip, like it's, it's now set in stone. You don't have to think, oh, I'd like to go do this trip, it's set. And so we raised the kids traveling around the world. My wife and I were, were married in India. I mean, it's a big mm. part of our connection is that that voyaging, that adventure spirit mm-hmm. Um, and we have imbued our children with it. Our oldest daughter goes to college in Berlin now. Um, Mm. And so, so that's been wonderful, but we also have this great sense of building home. When I first walked into this wonderful woman who I was becoming friends with, we are, you know, we're working every day together at the school. I know that I'm in love with her and I'm going to be in love with her the rest of my life, but I've still got to make sure that she's convinced of that. (laughs) Um, but I went over and visited her house, and it was the first house I'd ever seen that was as colorful, and every piece of it made into a piece of art as my own house. And so again, I knew, all right, well, that's that settles that part of it. I know we can live together and make life together. And um, and and so those elements of harmony—that's wealth, right? That's that's what makes you a wealthy person is. The pieces that make up the constituent bastions of your life, mm. and I've been really, really blessed to have all those.
1: That's fantastic. Mm. You ever get you ever get the bug to appear in front of the camera again?
2: Not really, because like when I'm around <laughs> a camera man, I just want oh, to control and do it and get the thing. Oh, here's how we got to <laughs> see this all this stuff. <laughs>
1: how, how often? I'm curious. How often do fans reach out to you?
2: um not so much anymore really um so here's this is funny wait wait i think i can grab this stand by (laughs) oh yes it's right here um so my mom was recently um cleaning out the garage and she saved a few things for me this is one of them this is the early mino palouse fan club folder (laughs) Inside which... Wow. <laughs> your Mino Palouse fan club card official expires ongoing because you know, <laughs> my mom's card. She's a member. She gets... You get a headshot. Your friend, Mino. <laughs> you get some some articles and then she stuffed in some of these great old photos of me as a little kid. That's awesome, (laughs) that's great. And of course you get the pin, like you got to get the pin. I love me, that's, (laughs) that's (laughs) that's fantastic. (laughs) Um, You know, I never took celebrity, that the celebrity part of it seriously at all. Um, I didn't seek that and it did not seek me. Mm -hmm. I was a working actor when I wasn't working, I went back to this tiny private school that I'd gone to preschool through high school. I I, like, I, I can remember the the big day of receiving largesse yes of my celebrity was a day at the go-kart place where like I was there as a celebrity. And when I came around on the go-kart, I could say, I want to go again. And they'd say, go ahead. And they didn't. You know that was a big deal, <laughs> um, but I I was certainly aware of the world of celebrity because mm-hmm. it it welcomed my sister in with open arms, mm-hmm. right? Like that was there was celebrity existence in our world, and it was her show. Mm-hmm. And and again by then, like again, i was six years old. I, I certainly was not um, in any way. There was no there was no competition, right? Right. Um, but I was, I was totally jazzed that my sister was enjoying that. And that was great. And I was certainly jazzed by the fact that when they would say, oh, well, we need you to come do a junket in Australia. My mom would say, that's fine, but you got to fly all of us and you got to fly us to Fiji first. And, you know, so like mom made it into some, some family travels for us. And so that was great. Um, a little later, because Soleil's, you know, her expanded world, like I got into some clubs and things when I'd be home from college on <laughs> kind of on her coattails. But for the most part, that was really, that was her world. That was, that was what she liked doing and was good at. Um, my relationship to limousines was like, before I could drive, if I wanted to take a girl out, <laughs> like, how how am I gonna go on a date? Mom goes, well, just rent a limo, go pick her up. And let me tell you, Priscilla Presley thought that was a little fishy when I came to pick up her daughter. Who's this guy in this limo picking up my daughter? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to hear about that. But uh, <laughs> do, you, do you ever uh
1: do you ever do and decide to do any conventions at all? Do you you know fan things? No, nah, see I mean no.
2: that again, that's just not been part of nothing that
1: interests you. <laughs> But, well i i then i i thank you very much for being here today i you know honestly it was you know great pleasure for me uh i love getting to speak to you you're welcome back anytime and uh if you well, if ever in florida you have a lunch waiting
2: if you want fantastic thank you guys so much okay uh, thank you this is uh
1: jonathan rosen with ike eisenman again thanks to our special guest mino palouse great and you, uh, yes this has been Pop yeah Token man thank Retro. you And, uh, remember subscribe. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to pop culture retro where no one was hurt during the making of this podcast.